Alright, Kiss Army. You wanted the best, you got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcast. And welcome to your podcast. This is Gary Schaller. And this is James Hager. And uh, we were thinking, it's 35 years since KISS recorded their first Alive album, 1975. And Ferk, you and I were talking about this, trying to do a roundtable discussion commemorating KISS Alive would be kind of a disaster. Right. I mean, there's not a lot of negative things to say about Kiss Alive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's considered by many, most of us probably doing this show and listening to the show included, to be the quintessential live album. Right. And certainly uh, a lot of Kiss fans would agree, um, you know, that the give or take, it defines their sound. It's the it's the pinnacle. So, you know, I was, I mean, you know this, I, I called you and I was like, what are we going to do? It's 35 years of Kiss Alive. And, um, how do we make it so that it's interesting? Because otherwise, if we were going to do a, a discussion or a kind of a roundtable thing, my concern is that it would wind up being like, all right, what does everyone think of the cover? It's awesome. What does everyone think of the artwork? It's awesome. How about Deuce? Great. Strutter? Excellent. You know, not a lot to talk about in a way. Right. Um, so you came up with what I thought was a brilliant idea. Right. My idea is not to make a show dedicated to Kiss Alive. <clears throat> but to more make a show dedicated to the legacy of Kiss Alive, meaning to cover Kiss Alive, Kiss Alive 2, Kiss Alive 3, Unplugged, Alive 4, the Millennium Concert, and even the Instant Lives. You know, to talk about how Kiss Alive made these things possible and to look at these things individually and uh, look at their merits and their flaws. And of course, because it's podcast, that's going to mean a lot of cool, rare audio clips and things that people may have heard, may never have heard. Hopefully it'll be exciting and we'll stretch this out over a couple of shows or a few shows, I should say, because we also don't want to rush it. I mean, that's the other thing is that it is 35 years since this concept began, this concept of of doing an album and calling it Alive. And we want to take our time and really, uh, you know, enjoy that and, and explore what that's meant for 35 years. So we start by talking about what were live albums before and how is how how is it different to call something an alive album versus a live album kiss didn't just make a a live album right right they they came alive right in your living room through your stereo and the name of it also for me it always conjured up kind of images of old monster movies where the mad scientist would say it's alive it's alive and and it kind of fits with the Kiss aesthetic at that time, particularly I guess for Gene, um, the idea that Kiss was something monstrous or something uh, an untamed wild beast. So let's hear some audio from the concerts that yielded the Kiss Alive record. And as you're listening to this, some of this is going to sound really familiar, 
and some of it is going to sound a little different from what you're used to. So see if you can pick out some of those differences. listen to kiss alive you don't feel like you know you're just hearing a recording of a show if you close your eyes you feel like you're at that show you have the crowd is bombarding you you have this this wall of sound that is the kiss music 
coming for you. It really feels like a Kiss concert's coming alive right there in your living room. Right. And that kind of brings us to something that's going to be a recurring theme as we're talking about these records, right? Which is the issue of uh, making a live album that is truly a, a document of a live performance versus this thing that Kiss created, which is the Alive album, right? They've had one, two, three, four, five, give or take, they've had five Alive albums. And that's meant something more than just soundboard recordings mix and, mixed and mastered. It's meant something in terms of, like you said, closing your eyes and you're there. Right. So what does that mean? And, and you know, what do you, what do you think of in terms of uh, is it okay for KISS to do that? Is it not okay? Under what conditions and for what reasons does a band get to kind of manufacture a concert experience with by faking it to some extent? What, what is particularly with the first kiss alive and extending through alive three for me it's not so much about having a document of a concert um, we have that now with the instant lives that are coming you know right now out of europe <laughs> what kiss alive was more about and what it was more successful in creating was the idea of what kiss was live right you know Kiss concerts, I mean, they're all talented guys, but there's always, you know, here and there a flub note, you know, a, a harmony that's not quite just there. But when you put on Kiss Alive, first off, it sounds authentic. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a live show. It sounds like Kiss just kicking ass at Cobo Hall. Right. But the fact of the matter is it also doesn't have those mistakes that can kind of detract sometimes from a pure soundboard recording. It's mistakes you don't necessarily notice when you're there, but when you go home and you pop that CD and you're like, well, so-and-so was a little out of key there. Right. With Kiss Alive, they fixed that, and they they almost, with this album, more so than the live show, created the legend of the Kiss live show and how powerful and how perfect they were live. I don't see a problem with the way they did Kiss Alive. Right. Not right. at all. It doesn't sound like it was recorded in the studio. No. All the songs that are played on Kiss Alive were played on that tour. Yep. And for the most part, the tracks, to my knowledge, are live. They're the, the I think the basic tracks are live tracks. Um, and some of the, some but not many of the guitar parts were re-recorded. A bunch of the bass, I think, was re-recorded. And a bunch of the vocals were re-recorded. I remember Eddie Kramer, I think, saying that most, if not all, the drums were left the same. Let's talk about Eddie Kramer and, and Alive One, okay? Because this is sort of a... I've seen this be a, a bone of contention or a, a debate uh, that comes up on the message boards, right? So Eddie Kramer, when asked about Alive One in recent years, recent meaning since, I guess, about 2003 when they did the um, the VH1 Ultimate Albums, show mm-hmm. about a live right Eddie Kramer's talked about how how overdubbed or how doctored the first alive record is and with all due respect to someone who deserves a lot of it that that being Eddie Kramer I really think that he's confabulating alive one and alive two in his memory because when you listen and, and as we will on this show when you listen to some of the raw material that yielded the alive album in 75 there's not a lot of tinkering. No. 
you know, versus as we'll talk about later, Alive 2, which in some instances was entirely fabricated with songs that weren't even performed live. Absolutely. Right. There there's a one thing in particular that always stands out to me that really kind of proves just how live Kiss Alive really is. And that's and maybe you'll understand what I'm talking about. Some of you may, some of you won't. In the early days, particularly during those first three tours, there was a specific sound that Deuce had. Oh yeah. It, it was it was like the perfect storm of the guitar tone and the way the drums were mic'd. Yes. <clears throat> that there was a really a lot of almost like a lot of crash over the top of everything. Yes. And you don't have that anytime after Kiss Alive. You know, even on the Destroyer tour when they played Deuce, it didn't sound like it did during those first three years. And a lot of that, you know, this is where we get into the Peter Chris love fest. I'll, I'll, I'll go on record saying that Peter Chris is the only person who, to my satisfaction, plays Deuce the way I want to hear it. Absolutely. And, and also Strutter. Deuce and Strutter. Right. And, and that's true. That's been true irrespective of, of when. I mean, that was true in 75. That was true last time I saw him play with them in 2003. Um, and that's nothing against Eric Carr or Eric Singer or anyone else. It's just about a certain, you know, inventing a sound and then carrying it forward. It's the way that he keeps time with, with, uh, with the cymbal. And... Um, the swagger on the kick drum. Yeah. There's just something about Peter Chris playing the chorus, the instrumental part of the chorus of Strutter, that is just not there when anyone else plays it. Uh, that, that includes tribute bands, that includes myself, who is a drummer. There's just something in Peter Chris's body that, that plays Strutter unlike any other drummer. Right. And, you know, it, it, Ace, I don't... It's like another human being named Ace Fraley is on that record, and I, I don't mean that in any derogatory way he was amazing after and he was amazing before but if you his guitar nothing sounds like that no no nothing sounds like that and his that kind of perfect sloppy perfect accurate and big and huge without without a lot of crazy uh reverb without any kind of uh over the top of effects i mean big you don't have to be David Gilmore to sound have a, a guitar that sounds huge, and his guitar sounds unbridled. It's just unbelievable. It's it is like you said, the perfect storm.
I want to I want to call our attention to something. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but this is something that I really enjoy about Kiss Alive in headphones. Okay. Okay. Every other uh, Kiss live record that I can think of, the the arrangement of the instruments in the stereo channels is the way you would see it from the audience perspective. In other words, uh, let's see, the bass is over more to the left, the um, the the hi-hat is over to the right, um, and ace is over to the right, with Paul in the middle. Right? right? So it's like you're looking at the stage. For Kiss Alive, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but everything is oriented the way it would be if you were on stage. Right. Have you noticed that? The, in other words, Absolutely. the, the hi-hats over backwards. on the... Yeah, it's backwards, right. So it is almost like you are behind the drum kit. Sometimes I listen to it, and I imagine I'm standing there with Peter, or I'm behind the drum kit, or something like that. And it's it makes it really in- weird and kind of an interesting twist on, on uh, listening to a live album.
Kiss Alive. Where was that in terms of your 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 collecting? I had Psycho Circus, the Dynasty, and Destroyer, and then I did one of those, you know, thirteen CDs for a penny or whatever. They should have saw this fourteen-year-old kid coming. But <laughs> um, and Kiss Alive was one of the ones I got along with. Oh, that's right. Unplugged. Cre- cre- creatures unplugged and um, I'm trying I to remember. Uh, I I forget the fourth one. There was, I, a, right. there, there was a a zombie record you got. Yeah, yeah, Hellboy Deluxe. I got Hellboy Deluxe with that as well. And I think a Motley Crue Greatest Hits. Um, But the first one I listened to was Unplugged, actually, and then Creatures, and I put Kiss Alive on last. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first thing I noticed is how, you know, how differently songs like Got to Choose and um, Nothing to Lose and Rock Bottom sounded on Alive versus Unplugged. And uh, it was a little bizarre at first, <clears throat> but, you know, once I got more accustomed to the way things were, I, Kiss Alive was one of my first go-to records for Kiss. You knew some of those songs from the uh, Last Kiss pay-per-view. Exactly. I, I you know, knew some of them, <clears throat> but the first thing that kind of you know was a little weird was J.R. Smalling's intro mm-hmm. to Kiss because it was a little a little less um, booming as we become you know as, as Kisses went on the intro has become more and more suspenseful and of course you know the deal with the uh, the Alive 2 intro right yeah the, he uh, Kiss and they had to re-overdub keep overdubbing the word Kiss that was yeah Gene did the word Kiss because he thought yeah. that the uh, I forget who it is that when he said it, it sounded like piss. 
Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it was more just, you know, you wanted the best and you got it, you know. Mm-hmm. But when Deuce kicked in, that first explosion, that bah, bah, da, da, there was just, you know, it was just awesome. And, you know, it was also my first, you know, my first taste of songs like Strutter and, and Fire, <coughs> you not Fire, but Hotter Than Hell. Right. Um, nothing to nothing to lose. Come on and love me, and then a song from the last kiss that I enjoyed, Black Diamond, really came alive for me when I heard Kiss a lot. Oh, it's unbelievable! And to this day, Black Diamond is not just my favorite Kiss song; it is my favorite song of all time. Wow! Yeah, for a while that was that was the the Kiss song for me, and it's still way up there. It, did did you did you have this experience too? Um. Where the first time you you think back to going to a rock concert, that you compared it in your head to the way Alive sounds, absolutely. Mm-hmm. The first time I went to a rock, my first rock and roll concert outside of local shows that my band had been a part of and whatnot was Rob Zombie, and great great show and you know lived up to my every expectation. But I do remember, you know, thinking, you know, <laughs> comparing it to Kiss Alive and other live albums. And uh... yeah, I went to see. Uh, I think it was ninety one or ninety two. Uh, Eric Clapton at Meadowlands Arena, where which is where the next year I would see Kiss for the first time. And um, I remember <laughs> when the lights went down. There was no opening act. It was like an evening with Eric Clapton. And the lights went down. It really hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like this is the thing that I hear at the beginning of Kiss Alive. Yeah. And my mind always goes to Kiss Alive, not Alive 2, not Alive whatever. Well, actually, at that point, to be fair, there were only two Alive records, but it was always Kiss Alive for me. And it still is in a lot of ways. Like, that's... To me, that's the quintessential uh, Alive album, and it's the quintessential Live album. I got Kiss Alive um, shortly after I got the Gene Simmons solo album, so it was my second Kiss record, and in a, in a way, it was my first full band Kiss record. Um, and to this day, when I look at the uh, the booklet and the, the the pictures on the inside of that, it still takes me to to a place that I can't really describe. It's it's not like looking at Kiss because those pictures almost don't look like them. Right. It looks like different people. I've never seen Ace look like that before or after. It just looks like a different person, and and that picture of Gene, with that one long strand of blood, I thought that was his tongue. Really, I didn't know what I was seeing or what I was hearing, and I've I actually talked to Ken about this not long ago. That I, I, it was like such a like the joy of Kiss Alive early on was almost like trying to figure out what I was seeing and hearing. Like, what is this? I would listen to it over and over again and look at the the pictures and say, what is going on? I thought when Peter Chris at the end does his like kiss loves you rock and roll thing at the end of uh let me go mm-hmm. i thought that was gene and i thought that he was spitting blood really yeah because I, I didn't know what what they you know which guy was which or anything and i thought he was saying kiss loves you and then like hacking up blood yeah I, so i mean that's just how my like six-year-old brain worked or five-year-old brain worked however old i was but um but yeah that was uh that was what that record was about, was figuring out what I was seeing in here. I'll tell you a cool picture inside the the, uh, the booklet that always struck me was, there's a picture 
it's kind of in the middle of the booklet. They kind of have a, uh, you know, a compilation of pictures with flames on either side. And there's a picture of Gene breathing fire. Mm-hmm. And they've manipulated the picture to where it looks as if the fire is coming from Gene's mouth. I'm trying to think of that one. Huh. Did they really change the photo? Uh, it's fairly obvious. Um, yeah, I never... Yeah, you know what? I'm looking at that now, and I don't think I ever quite put it together that, like, they sort of added... It looks like they've added a bit of fire. Although, you know, who knows? I mean, he had a lot of close calls back then. It's possible that that... that it's just creeping, crawling its way back to his head to set his hair on fire. I don't know. It's possible. That picture, though, of uh, Gene leering over Ace... Yes. They, they, you, you know, I'm going to use a word, and it's going to sound really judgmental. Contrived. Every time that I have seen them do anything like that live since 96, it's one of the few things that has truly felt contrived. I agree. Because there's all kinds of stuff that you expect when you see a KISS concert, like the drum riser going up and breathing fire and blood and blah, 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 blah. But that photo, to me, is a magic, spontaneous 1975 moment between two very specific guys at a certain point in their lives. And trying to replicate that, I don't care how many times Gene wants to lick Ace on the neck, it's not the same, and it feels contrived, and there I said it. Yeah. And that's nothing against Ace or Gene or anything, it's just... That photo is all I need. I don't need to see that again. Right. Well, it's it's like uh, you can't. You really can't blame them for trying to <clears throat> recapture that magic of that moment. Oh no, not at all. But it's never going to happen. And Ace, look at Ace bending back on the lower right hand side. Right. 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 Unbelievable. I also thought. I don't know if you had this, but I thought, looking at these pictures, that they would do costume changes in the middle of the show. Really, right? Because you've got you've got two uh, sets of costumes. You've got the hotter than hell costumes, and you've got. But you know that's because I had no. I was so young. I had no idea what what the show was about. If they right. came out and told a story, if they came out and did and danced, I did not know anything about it. Well, when you're that young, you have no you have no idea of what a rock and roll concert's like anyway. Right, and the only live events I'd ever been to as a kid, and I imagine a lot of people listening will will relate to this, I I, I hope, is, you know, going to something like a house of worship or a school auditorium or maybe some kind of local theater, you know, stuff that's roughly, give or take, the size of an auditorium or a movie theater. Right. You know, where you'd see, like, a stage play. Um, and And I really thought that that's where Kiss Alive took place, was, like, in a theater, not an arena. Right. I also thought that you had to be special and you had to have inside connections to attend an event like this. Really? Yeah. I had no concept of what a tour was or what rock bands did. It, to me, it was like, and still to this day, maybe that's why I'm still a sucker for it, I still think that going to a KISS concert is a privilege. I can see that. Yeah. But that's where this record takes me back to. Nothing since then has tainted it for me. All the shit I've learned about Alive 2 and how real or fake it is or all that stuff, that, that has changed Alive 2, 
But Kiss Alive right. remains this perfect thing for me. Kiss Alive, it's not my favorite Kiss Live record. But when you said earlier, it's the quintessential Kiss Live record. There, to me, there's no disputing that. Are there any songs off this record where you prefer the studio versions? Um, not many. Um, one in particular, I think I do prefer the studio version, is actually Parasite. Okay. Um, and maybe Hotter Than Hell. Really? Really. But past those two, the first three live records, the first one and the third one, Kiss and Dress to Kill, in particular for me, sonically they're kind of flat. Mm-hmm. Um, Very dry. And there are, right. And there are some songs in particular that I don't care for off the studio records, some being uh, Deuce, Firehouse, mm-hmm. Cold Gin, Rock and Roll All Night, even Black Diamond. I much prefer to hear in a live setting because that's where Kiss, you know, no pun intended, comes alive. Mm-hmm. I actually like Dress to Kill best of those three records. And um, it, for me, it might be because they were starting to really think about what what is a studio album. Like, how do we make a studio album uh, that that works rather than just go into a room and record what happens. Nothing wrong with that. Spontaneity is great. But for me, they started, I think they really started thinking about crafting pop music for Dress to Kill. And those are the, that's the reason why I like the studio version of Rock and Roll All Night. I like the, um, the percussion on it. You know, like, I don't know if it's a tambourine. I think actually someone has mentioned that it is a zipper on a jacket. Uh, believe it or not. I like all the extra vocals. Um, I like the studio version of Come On and Love Me a lot. But barring those, I think everything else on Kiss Alive buries any other versions of those songs. Although, you, you'll you say that your favorite version of Strutter is the one from Symphony, is that right? Far and away. Yeah, that's a pretty I good th- one. I think that that song there, along with nothing can keep me from you on the studio side but to me Strutter from a live four symphony in Melbourne that is Paul Stanley's greatest live vocal performance that I've ever heard it's really good incredible yeah yeah he's on they're all really on um and and it, it also Strutter from the symphony show not to you know jump the gun here but since we're talking about it there's a spontaneity to it that I've not heard in many in a lot of Kiss songs, particularly in the last verse, Peter Chris does this snare roll versus a typical. I know exactly snare. what you're talking about. It's, and and it's not the way that album was played a lot by Peter Chris. You know, maybe raises some eyebrows for other people that that's not the way it should be played. But two parts in particular on that record: one being that snare roll and strutter, mm-hmm. and the other one being the solo in Psycho Circus. Mm-hmm. Where Peter completely abandons the the tom rolls and just goes for more of a simple time on the on the ride and the snare, to me, are what makes those songs unique and actually a very good recording. I well, I have all kinds of good things to say about Peter on Alive Four, the Symphony album rather, and and I know we'll get around to that, but I have no complaints and I think that he did a great job. L- let me ask you this: if you listen back to say. 74, 75, those live recordings are, you know, stuff that's on Kissology or stuff that we've got circulating around fan circles. Mm-hmm. Do you think that a live 
adequately, adequately captured what KISS sounded like as a live band at that time. I think KISS Alive doesn't just capture what KISS sounds like at a live band at that time. I think KISS Alive managed to also capture everything that KISS was as a live band at that time. Because when you listen to KISS Alive, you can see what's going on. And it's, it's very hard for a live album to make you see what's happening. Mm-hmm. But when you listen to Kiss Alive, you can visualize what's going on. Is it a completely 100% undoctored live recording? No. And if it had been, I don't know that I would have been able to see what I see when I hear Kiss Alive. Right. I remember in that, uh, that VH1 special, who's that guy from Limp Bizkit? Fred Durst. Was complaining, right, was complaining about oh, they overdubbed the audience? Well, F that. That's I can't believe it. That ruins it for me. Are you kidding? That's what makes it. I mean, not not that that's the only ingredient, but, I mean, that's what sends the chill, right? I mean, that's part of the package. Exactly. I mean, it's really hard to get an audience mic'd, you know, to where they're always going to be loud enough to serve the record. And it's just as hard because you cannot predict how an audience is going to react. Some nights an audience is quieter than others. That doesn't mean that there is, you know, a problem with the show. That just could be, you know, the mood of the audience. It happens. Looking back now, knowing what we know about what KISS were really doing at that time, you know, 74, 75, is there anything on the record that seems odd? Um, well, there are, you know, there's one song in particular that KISS wasn't really doing at the time much that made it on the record that seems kind of odd, and that is uh, Rock Bottom. Right. right. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I don't know why. I have the great Kiss Alive Forever book, which anyone who doesn't have it, you really need to go out and get it. Um, that is the Kiss Bible, folks. You have to have that book. I, I, I really want them to update it. There's been so much that's happened. I mean, they've been, they haven't, I guess it was published back in like 2002 or early 2003 or something. But uh, yeah, fantastic book. They mentioned- I believe they are going to update it. Actually, I, I remember <clears throat> reading something. It feels it seems like on one of the message boards that they are in the midst of uh, planning an update. Kurt Gooch, Jeff Sues, is that right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Fantastic book. Um, uh, amazing book. Um, they mentioned that one of the shows I think back in '75 opened with Rock Bottom, which is odd to think about, right? Not for any other band, it wouldn't be. I could see any other band opening with a song like Rock Bottom. Right. You know, with that slow intro. To me, it would have to. You would have to omit the "You wanted the best, you got the best." Right. right. To me, the lights would just have to go out, and then there'd be you know a disco ball or a mirror ball, whatever you want to call it, and the intro to Rock Bottom start up, and then when they start the you know the rock part, you know it gets heavy. The curtain should drop then. Yeah, that would work. Um... Yeah, I mean, any other kind of approach would just be weird, and it would be so anticlimactic to have the big intro and have that be what immediately follows. Here's here's Kiss doing Rock Bottom. We have a recording of Kiss doing Rock Bottom from 1975, and this is from Long Beach, California. Give this a listen.
Gather around, boys and girls, as we tell you another story of... I remember when I bought that Kiss album. When you actually bought albums at a store, not just downloaded an MP3. I remember the first time that I opened up that album, that vinyl album of Kiss Alive. It was like a concert experience unto itself. I, along with thousands of other kids across the United States and the world, put that album on, stared at those pictures, and saw Gene's blood coming out of his mouth with that weird little curly blood spin that just seems to go on forever. It was the song Parasite that really grabbed a hold of me, and it wouldn't let me go. There was something about that, and it made Ace Frehley my all-time rock guitar god. The booklet that came with it was absolutely amazing. It was like a tour book for a concert that most of us would never get to go to, actually physically go to. But we experienced that concert in our bedrooms, and in our family rooms, and and we poured over these pictures and we imagined something that KISS could never actually compete with. It was an amazing thing. You would pour over the pictures and imagine what was going on. What were they doing? What's Ace doing in this picture? What's Paul doing in this picture? What's Gene doing in this picture? What's Peter doing in this picture? And then you'd hear that weird sound that... and wonder what the hell was going on. Was, was the drummer doing something? Was, was that something done on a guitar? These guys weren't rock stars. They were superhuman. They were more than superheroes. They were superhuman. Kiss Alive is the Kiss document that every Kiss fan needs to have, hear, and own. There is often that thing that if you had to pick one album to take on a desert island, Kiss Alive would be that one Kiss album for me. Thank you to KISS for giving us this wonderful package, this wonderful album, this wonderful document that will live throughout history and history itself. And that's our show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podkiss.com. If uh, you have any suggestions, comments, or just want to talk to us, drop us a line at podkissed at gmail.com. Be sure to check out James's other site, which is called zombiefaq.com. For all you white zombie fans, it's the place to be. A big thanks to Julian and all of our friends over at kissfaq.com. Big thanks to all of our pals at mykisslife.net. Keith LaRue and all the staff over at kissonline.com. They do a great job representing the hottest band in the land. If you have a Kiss-related website and want us to uh, mention it in the show notes or uh, possibly talk about it on the air, just let us know and we'll see what we can do about that. As James mentioned, be sure to check out Kiss Online for links to all the individual band members' websites. And as always, a big thanks to Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, Ace Fraley, Peter Crisp, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memories of the late, great Eric Carr, and the late, great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Thanks for listening. Good night.
to Adder's Laboratory.